I actually met Tim en route to uh, a local color catalyst gathering. And by happen chance, I met him, sparked up a conversation. And I decided, I want to bring you with me. So lo and behold, here we are now. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is Vanessa Rouse. Thanks for joining us for Beer and Conversation. We partnered up with Ology Brewing Company to bring you this event, which is part of our local color project. Here's how beer and conversation went down. First, we invited racially diverse pairs to meet up for real conversations in an effort to better understand each other's experiences. The pairs met virtually first on their own. Some pairs knew each other in advance. Some pairs had never met before. Then later on a Saturday evening, a few of these pairs came together with the Village Square and Ology Brewing Company to share about this experience. This discussion was facilitated by the fabulous Jovita Woodrich. In this episode, the Village Square really lives up to their reputation of talking about those taboo subjects that sometimes can make you feel uncomfortable. Tonight's guests really rose to the occasion of opening up, being vulnerable, and engaging in complicated dialogue. So I'm just feeling really thankful to each one of these community members for putting themselves out there and being willing to have these conversations. All right, let's move on. Here's Jovita to kick off beer and conversation. Good evening, everybody. We're really thrilled that you're here. And I am particularly thrilled to have this group of friends with me. We're going to go ahead and get started. So an official welcome to Beer and Conversation presented by Ology Brewing Company and the Village Square. So this past Thursday, Ology Brewing Company released the Black is Beautiful Stout as part of a national campaign by Weathered Souls Brewing as part of their project to raise awareness about racial justice. Ology is generously donating the proceeds of the Black is Beautiful Stout to the Village Square's local color project on race. We have a number of hometown neighbors who are at the center of the conversation tonight. Each of them had one-on-one conversations with each other this last week to talk about race. We'll hear briefly from them shortly, but we really also want to hear from you during a question and answer period in the second half of the program. As you submit your questions, note that we won't ask questions that impugn character or assume ill intention of others. Despite understandable disagreement on these complex issues, our community will be best served if we can roll up our sleeves, listen to understand, and work together. We look forward to hearing what's on your mind. So our panel of participants today includes a number of fantastic people. So panelists, please say a quick hello when I introduce you. One of the first conversations from this past week is between, was between a FAMU and an FSU professor, Dr. Keith Parker, professor at Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, and he teaches sociology and criminal justice. Hello, Keith. Good evening. I'm <laughs> delighted to be part of this conversation. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And Dr. Samuel Staley professor at Florida State University who teaches urban policy and social entrepreneurship. Hello, everybody, and uh, thank you for this opportunity. It's an awesome uh, opportunity to talk about this issue, so I appreciate being here. Great. We're glad to have you. Our second conversation was between Jessica Clark, co-owner of Ology Brewing Company and CEO of Sky Creative Marketing. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me. We're excited to kick things off. Thanks, Jessica. And Hope Lavender, best name ever, graphic and web designer at Understory. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. All right. Our third conversation was between the Sean Dowdy, founder and CEO of the Taproot Agency, and Royal King. Royal King is his real name. Just take that in. Volunteer Services Manager at Leon County. Hi guys. Hey guys, it's, a, it's an honor to be here. Um, love local color, always game to play in the sandbox with you guys. Thanks. 
Happy to be here. And I'm a fan of Sean, but why couldn't I be the Royal King? Why didn't Sean get the... Because your name is already Royal King. Come on. (laughs) We'll discuss that in the second hour off air. Okay. And last but not least, Dara Miles, informal science education specialist. Say hello, young lady. I actually go by Grandmaster Dara Miles Wilson. Um, Yes, I am the I'm sorry. Let me get my pen. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Get it right, everybody. Thank you. My bad. Happy to be here. And Tim Staddlemuller, who is an addiction counselor. Hi, thanks for having me. And has the dopest, I believe is how the kids say best, setup of all of us. Can you just, yes, here we go with this. And then we have a thing with the mic. I think it's a microphone, right? Excellent. Excellent. Okay. I want to start our time together by touching on the conversations that each of you had this week. So I will kind of call your pair. And if you'll summarize a few of the takeaways and experiences that you had, a couple of the highlights, uh, we would love to hear from you. So let's start with uh, Keith and Sam. Love to hear from you. Okay, uh, this is Keith. It's, uh, again, my pleasure. Uh, Sam and I spent 60 plus minutes earlier in the week talking about uh, race, Tallahassee, and, and the world, actually. And we had a fantastic conversation. Uh, I always enjoy learning um, from people who have lived experiences. Uh, I took four things away from a very fruitful conversation uh, Sam and I engaged in. Uh, takeaway number one, was um, Sam, like many of us, uh, grew up in a God-fearing home where we had to make determinations. We wrestled with whether or not we wanted to become involved in in good trouble activities. Uh, So that was takeaway number one. Uh, Takeaway number two uh, is I, I learned that Sam is very much involved with activities devoted to helping the homeless. Uh, uh, something that's near and dear to to my heart, and I am just delighted and looking forward to learning more about uh, the efforts he, through the work he's doing at Florida State University, contribute to this. Uh, A third takeaway was Sam is very much engaged with his students, focusing attention on the plight of the homeless, uh, entrepreneurship, and ways to make Tallahassee the beloved community we all want it to to become. Uh, And so he does numerous activities uh, uh, involving students that um, educate them and uh, they in turn provide opportunities to him uh, to do more in the future. Uh, And a final takeaway from our conversation was uh, Sam is very much committed uh, and looking forward to collaborating with us at Florida Agricultural Mechanical University. And Sam, I too am looking forward to future collaborations and I uh, will make a commitment on behalf of Keith Dwight Parker to do whatever I can to make uh, this a reality. All right. That was a public proclamation there, Keith. So <laughs> we will we will hold you to that. I think that's great. I um, As Keith said, I just had a great conversation with Keith. And um, I guess I will also confess at this point that it was a really important conversation for me to have at this particular moment in our history. Um, One is that Keith's own lived experience was able to, I was able to triangulate around mine, which was very different and coming from a different, very different perspective. And it quickly became, uh, it became very clear that his experience rooted in the 50s and 60s, whereas I'm a child of the 70s, was giving me some perspective on race that I just hadn't had. And it's not that I haven't been dealing with it. It's, in fact, my very first diversity, formal diversity training was in 1982 um, in college. And I've been dealing with issues of race really from my lived experience from as soon as I went into school, but then professionally since the 1980s and other personally. So a couple things that really I brought away from what Keith is one, having a civil conversation with someone with his experience and background was incredibly important to me at this point in time. And it really restored some faith given what I've been seeing in social media and elsewhere that we can have these kinds of conversations. Um, He also taught me a lot, actually educated me on some of the things, my own history and my own backyard, I simply didn't know. And uh, for example, I'm from Ohio. I moved to Tallahassee in 2011. I didn't realize that Freedom School was 
where the civil rights era were actually in my backyard. I'd say that our high school curriculum was aware. These are not things that really were part of that. And I think that's really important for us to understand in terms of providing this link um, to current events and also helping me give some perspective on how the historical perspective of how we're experiencing the George Floyd actually is rooted back into some fundamental things that I just hadn't been able to pull together. And I think I told Keith, I sort of was approaching the conversation with a little bit of anxiety, in part because I wasn't sure what kind of conversation we could have. But at the end of the day, I mean, Keith is amazing and just really inspired me to have these conversations and to go out front and to actually be part of um, local color and come into this space and be vulnerable. Thank you. I appreciate that, Sam and Keith. We're going to move on to Hope and Jessica, if you'll just share a couple of points from the conversation you had this last week. Yeah, I can jump in. Um, I really enjoyed getting to know Jessica deeper. Her and I are good friends already. And I think the biggest thing that hit me was... I walked in being like, oh, yeah, it's just going to be catching up with a good friend. And I feel like I learned so much more about her that I just wouldn't have known if we hadn't sat down and had that space. Um, One of the things Jess talked about is like, I do graphic design and we've connected over that. And I'm also a Christian and we've connected over that. And just we've connected on so many other things, but completely never thought to talk about one of the biggest things is our identity. so I just really appreciated her sharing experiences that she's had that have been really pleasant with people who are African-American, just like from her childhood um, or just growing up around them through different church experiences. Um, but then also having negative um, interactions with people that and just trying to learn how to heal through that hurt and being OK with her sharing those stories, I think, was really helpful for me. I think a lot of people have been like, I want to be heard. I want to be heard. And I think I'm grateful that people are being heard, but I feel like she helped me be quick to listen to someone else's experience too and realize that I can learn from that as well. So um, I was just grateful for her being vulnerable uh, about the good, the bad, the pros, the cons, um, and just had her heart for wanting to continue to help Tallahassee on a community level as well. I really appreciated her heart. Oh, thanks, Hope. (laughs) Well, as Hope mentioned, um, she and I have known each other for a few years now to become good friends, but it felt like this kind of elephant in the room. Like, why have we not even talked about, like, the fact that we look different (laughs) and what that means and and that identity? But also, a lot of this brought up her background um, and our childhood stuff that when you meet somebody, I think it's whatever point you meet them in in your life. Um, you kind of start from there. So you know who they are now, but you don't know the rest of their story and what came along with them. So I knew that Hope was going to be a safe place to talk to in a certain regard. But then at the same time, talking about this kind of thing with your friend, I came in with a little bit of trepidation as well. Like, oh my gosh, am I going to quote ruin this friendship by talking about something that potentially could quote go wrong um, and be really difficult. So I know it's a little bit different perspective than what some other people had. But that was definitely a fear that I had um, that I didn't want to hurt. And so I tend to not be the person who talks or or says a lot as far as my feelings and stuff like that and hope made it really safe place. But also, we realized that we had a lot more in common than we thought um, and some really unique, weird experiences and stuff that we had no idea. So I think it honestly made Hope and I a lot stronger, but also encouraged us that like, not only can we do this together, but this is really, really good and helpful for other people. And so now I've already been like picking out who I want to go like talk to about just difficult things, whether it's race or not. Thank you guys so much for that. I really appreciate it. Sean and Boyle, how about you guys? So uh, Sean and I got together and um, the conversation went really well. We went over the 60 minutes. We went at uh, 90 and then Sean kicked me off. No, but uh, it was a a very good conversation. And and one thing I kind of took away from it is that sometimes we forget the other side's experiences and how that shapes their views. So um, to hear Sean, how he grew up and and going to to Griffin at the time, which was a a minority dominated school and some of the experience he had that shaped how he um, thought for a, a period of time. Um, was, you know, a, a part that I, I never thought about, but the opposite side. Um, 
but we had a super really good conversation just about some experiences we had growing up, but then also um, how do we go from just having conversations, which is a great and an important start to, t- to trying to really shape our community to be better. And um, it was a, a powerful uh, conversation. And, and Sean is, he is the Sean, like you said. So it was good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate the props. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a little surreal to get on a video call with someone you've never met before and to jump straight into a topic that is as sensitive as, as race. Um, you know, that's kind of typically pretty high up on the list of like taboo subjects that you don't, you know, bring up in polite company. So, you know, to get on with somebody who I, I, I was familiar with Royal by name, because I mean, you know, with that name, how do you, how do you not hear about it in a town the size of Tallahassee, but I'd never met him. So to get on and immediately jump into a topic like this is a little, it's a little daunting. It's a little intimidating, but, um, I think it was really eye-opening for me. We talked a lot about um, what are the similarities and differences in growing up in a household as a white male and a black male. What do those conversations look like at home? Um, what conversations don't take place at all? You know, and how do those experiences uh, color, no pun intended, the way that you perceive other races and the way that that your skin color impacts the way that you just interact with society on the whole. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we talked a little bit about some of the current events, you know, that we've gone through in the past, you know, four or five months. And I mean, that alone, gosh, is a lot to unpack. Uh, and then we kind of tied up as Royal said with, you know, so, so what does that mean now? Like what, what does that mean for our community right now, especially a very political town like Tallahassee where, you kind of have this idea of where the community stands on topics of race. But then when things happen, like are currently happening across our country, it peels back that veneer and you see just how raw this topic still is in 2020 and how so many assumptions that I had about where we were as a society have really just been rocked to their core. And, um, and knowing like, okay, so, so where do we go from here? when there are so many just very foundational issues that I thought as a society we had moved well past, but clearly we have not. How do we get, I feel like right now, some of the conversations that we're trying to have on a national scale are almost premature based on some of what is manifesting as far as just the basic uh, concepts and structures within our nation. And, 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 And what can we do as individuals and as a community to begin to rectify that? Thank you. Appreciate you guys. How about Grandmaster D and Tim? Tim, would you like um, a name? Do you want uh, Count Count Timothy? Uh, yes, Tim of, is fine. Thank you. Of Tallahassee. Okay. All right. So Tim and Grandmaster, tell us about your conversation. There after you. Um, all righty. Uh, so I don't know if anybody caught me rolling up my sleeves because uh, let's get into this. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> well, um, it's. It's, it's fascinating. I actually met Tim, uh, I, I don't know how many years ago, um, but I actually met Tim en route to uh, a local color catalyst gathering. Um, and it was the very first time that I met him. I was on my bike and, you know, the train uh, was stopped me and I met Tim was walking and I was biking. And by happen chance, I met him, sparked up a conversation and I decided I want to bring you with me. So, so lo and behold, here we are now. So it's, it's pretty funny that like, here we are now. So it's, so, so how perfect that this is. Um, I just wanted to really quickly introduce that, but I've always, I've always had conversations, very open conversations with Tim about race. Um, and we've always been very candid, very candid and always very honest. Um, and I, I just think that's very fascinating. So before, before, poop hit the fan and that being said when poop hit the fan we could be very honest about where we are who we are in this situation and um tim will uh, later tell you about maybe where he is in this situation and we all have very interesting roles to play and we all are maybe trying to figure out where we are in this situation because layers are being peeled we're, we're finding things out we are all really finding things out um, about ourselves, maybe where we want to be, maybe where we are. It's not, it's not as 
we're not as far along as we thought we were, it's jaunting. It's very jaunting. Um, so I, to be honest, I didn't really find out too many new things um, in our conversations because Tim and I have always had a very honest, honest amount of communication and stuff. And it, it felt like old times. And our conversation lasted a good, what, two hours? Uh, a little more. <laughs> a, little, a little more uh, about just pretty much same, same old stuff. Um, uh, same old stuff. We agree on a lot of things. We see the eye, eye to eye. And we also recognize where each other are coming from. Um, different backgrounds, different identities but nonetheless we can still see each other for who we are i am a black woman he is a white male um i'll let tim explain his background which is interesting uh, interesting to say itself so i i, I just want to I'll, I'll 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 leave that i i'm i've been to the village where i've done a lot of local colors um i'll, I'll give tim the opportunity to tell more about himself right now cool thank you um, yeah, just to give y'all a little bit of background on um, me, I most recently was working as a as an addiction counselor at a court ordered rehab facility that was essentially uh, an inpatient facility that was designed to help people address some of their core issues. Like if if they committed a crime and were sentenced, and the crime was related to substance abuse or addiction. And the sentencing judge had the impression that there was a way for them to possibly rectify some of these things in a counseling type setting in a program that allowed people to like gradually reenter society. Then they would plead to that program that I worked in uh, as an alternative to going to jail. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me as a just working with my clients was that there were a lot of underlying themes of people being systemically disadvantaged and how for a lot of them, regardless of the fact that some of them made bad choices that ended them up in the situations that they ended up in, uh, the deck was so stacked against them that it was very difficult to try and encourage people. And I saw a lot of blind spots where like when I was talking to Dara about this initially, I was under the impression that we were going to be speaking more about uh, concrete policy as opposed to identity. And so I was trying to kind of like talk to some of my conservative friends and recently and to try and understand basically like I think that a lot of us are interested in similar outcomes, namely healthier communities, lower crime. I think we want a lot of the same things. And in my experience, part of what limited a lot of my clients was that they were severely under-resourced. And it is my belief that in order to affect significant change, we need to make investments. And like, I was basically kind of thinking if I'm speaking to a conservative, I would like to hear where they think these investments should be placed or if they think that investments should be placed at all. Uh, regarding identity, one of the main things that Dara and I talked about and one of the main things that I would share was just my perspective of being aware of the fact that being a white male and looking non-threatening, uh, has advantaged me over the course of my life multiple times to the point where I was able to succeed despite some of the issues that I faced uh, with family support and whatnot. Uh, and I was also able to kind of see how systemic injustice over time sets people up to fail. And when I was, I, I became involved with the protest relatively early, initially unaffiliated, just trying to support people just you know i was handing out waters to protesters i was handing out waters to uh the police initially trying to just generally kind of like i think help de-escalate things and kind of communicate to the police specifically that like i i as a person protesting you am not your enemy but i do think that there are real systemic changes that are necessary and until some of these things are done we can't expect positive development uh and I'm sorry, I'm going on at length here. But. <laughs> and no, thank you, Tim. I appreciate that. And we may actually be able to circle back around to that, um, to, to one of our professors. But I really appreciate that. I heard um, a couple of you, just the reality of anxiety and having um, apprehension about these types of conversations and then pushing through that. And I hope that, you know, our audience hears that, the reality that we do a lot of mind reading 
and we look at what we think, how, how the chess game is going to go and decide not to engage in it. And it sometimes doesn't go, you know, really well, but for some people in some experiences, it can be something that's really powerful and changes perspective. So I appreciate that you all have done that and that uh, these conversations don't have to be contentious. I have, it's so interesting, you know, these types of conversations that we have at the Village Square with local color. Um, I've had a few people who sort of almost think that they're boring because they've been constructive. And sometimes I think people are looking for, um, uh, you know, an MMA fight. And when they don't get it, it's not as appealing. But this is our hometown. You all are neighbors. And there are conversations that we can have that are really productive um, and don't turn out that way. And I hope um, that the folks who are listening pay attention to that and know that that is possible. Um, I wanted to ask our uh, panelists who are Black about the notion of teaching white people about their experience, about your experiences, and whether that, whether you had any of that in your mind that I'm going to have to explain and help somebody who is white understand either my struggles or the struggles of my brothers and sisters. Um, did that come into play for any of you? Was there any um, exhaustion in that or um, a little bit of frustration, even if it wasn't at the person that you were speaking with, but kind of in your own minds and hearts when you, when you are engaging with somebody who is white and you are trying to share those experiences, were there any um, emotions connected to that? I can jump in. Go ahead, Hope. Yeah, I think uh, for me personally, I have felt that in general with this time. I think a when a lot of things are hitting the media, there is this pressure of like, oh man, is everyone going to ask me what to do and how to feel and how do I fix this? And I want to understand. And um, I think at first there was a little bit of ner like anxiousness as you got, you hinted at Rita of like, is that what this conversation is going to look like? And I was really thankful that for Jess and I, it was mutual. Like it wasn't just like, okay, I have to teach Jess. It, I felt like I got to learn from her, but I also got to share experiences. And that took away some of the heaviness that I've felt in the past. Um, I know one thing that I shared with Jess that I can sometimes feel is that this is like an issue that's been going on for a really long time. Like, just in the African-American community alone, um, there's just been so much building up. And I am thankful because I feel like a lot of people haven't, I don't know if there's been a recognition of like, hey, as a people, this is like, you've been mistreated and the government is now going to reconcile that this wasn't right. Um, and, and I don't know if that's necessarily what some people feel like we need the space to have that conversation and yeah. I'm thankful that that conversation is starting. But yet, I think as some people hinted at, it's a very complex issue. So the thing that can be overwhelming is when people are like, okay, what do I do to fix it? And it's like, I don't know if I can come up with a 400 plus year problem solution in like a week. Like, <laughs> like I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you to do to fix it. And I've heard some professors who have shared on the issue is like, hey, it's already a lot to feel oppressed, but then be told, hey, you also have to come up with the answer to fixing your oppression. And that can be a lot, personally. Um, so I, I think uh, what Jess was sharing about having a safe space, it was nice to be able to be honest, like, hey, Jess, honestly, I don't know what could be done to fix it. And I also think there's a level of complexity of what's helpful for me may not be helpful for another person who's African-American or identifies as black. Um, so it just is complex. So I, I think I'm still figuring out what that looks like for me personally, but I think kind of some of the sentiments I felt. May I hop in? Um, okay. So I, on the other hand, I, I personally do know what um, needs to be done. However, um, I don't want to have to say it unless I am being paid. Um, okay. Pers personally, um, within my field or the field that I am involved in, um, I've noticed, uh, I, for example, I'm in the environmental outdoors field. Within this past summer, I've noticed uh, 
because of things that have happened um, within the Black community. I feel like there's been a renaissance within the outdoor, uh, outdoors, outdoor educational field. And there's been a influx of, there's been an increase in requests for diversity, equity, and inclusion for, there, there's just been an increase in, and request for individuals who are knowledgeable in those types of things. I myself have been asked, you know, for my expertise in those ways. Mm-hmm. I don't want to offer that labor for free. I, I know that, but that's a lot to ask of me. And I don't want to offer that for free, personally, even though I know that. Um, would you ask that those things for anybody else for free? So that's how I personally feel. Okay. Um, as far as this conversation goes, um, even like I'll, I'll, I'll give that to friends, you know, I'll, I'll give advice to friends even, but even still like I'll, and Tim even, and I even had those conversations about how I felt like I had to give a little bit more labor. And though I did, I felt a way about that. I did. And even we had conversations about that, about how I personally feel that like, that's even still necessary to an extent it's very necessary about how you turn a lot of people away, even in like demonstrations, how when certain people show up ignorant, um, ignorant individuals, like ignorant to their, to like not their own fault, um, like not like not willfully ignorant, but just people don't know, just people don't know because they haven't been exposed to like maybe black people. Um, just, they just don't know. Do we, do we turn these, do we shun these people? Someone needs to educate them, all right? There's, someone needs to educate these people. Okay. We may not always have the materials or the resources to pay individuals, but still, someone needs to do this. Gotcha. This labor. Thank you. Thank you. So, that's how I personally feel. Keith. Yes, thank you. Uh, I, I believe Hope and Tim provided us with part of the answers to the challenges that face us. Uh, Hope, when you said... I don't know. Tim, when you said, I hear you, these three words affirm the existence of the other. And I believe half of the battle will be won by number one, uh, acknowledging to the other that you know he or she exists. And number two, that opens up opportunities for the easy conversations because we have moved away from the other to I am engaging in a conversation with you. So just the icebreaker of I hear you, I think is very significant and uh, opens up many possibilities for continued and future dialogue. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate that. Thank you to all of you. Um, and then I wanted to flip that for my white friends. I'm going to say something if it's okay. Uh, I'm just, t- I'm totally kidding. Oh. <laughs> Royal, I just, <clears throat> I had something in my throat. Mm-hmm. Apologies, deep apologies. One from you, go ahead. I, I, just, I just want everyone to know I know Royal. I'm not just having met him treating him this way. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Royal. So, to your question, um, I was going to say a large part is a, a lot of this is having uncomfortable conversations, right? So for me, do I feel a heaviness? Yes, but it's it's something that I embrace because in that conversation is growth and then growth is progress. So uh, do I sometimes not want to have that conversation? Absolutely. But I understand if, if people that don't look like me want to have a conversation to understand why I feel the way that I feel and why some of the the men and women who look like me feel that way. And yeah, I don't speak for the entire race, but I can give more light into uh, the perspective of what it feels like to be a black man. And then having that conversation, if that helps somebody so that now they look and have a different perspective, I welcome it. Now, if, you know, sometimes it can get tiring, of course, but again, I, I don't mind being that conduit because it'll, overall improve our community one person at a time so um yeah is it heavy but it's necessary that's great thank you royal and that's the reality just like hope said is that there are going to be people who say i cannot do this anymore or the weight of what i have experienced personally or my 
understanding and um, the way that I absorb what's going on in society means that I, I can't do this with you. You know, I can't speak to you and help you understand what it means to be me. But those of us who are willing to do it can move in that direction. And you, you may end up seeing, um, you may end up trying to interact with somebody who isn't willing to do that, white or black or another person of color. Um, but it doesn't mean that you, or we hope that you don't give up on trying if you are shut down somehow, or if a conversation doesn't go well. And I really like Hope, what you said just about, and, and Royal, you said this as well, that met one, if you've met one Black person, you have met one Black person. Um, that these conversations, um, and allegedly, if you've met one white person, you've met all, I'm just kidding, you've met one white person. And so on both sides, it's so critical to recognize individuality, but then also that some of these um, experiences that we have can be extrapolated and you can kind of connect it to the reality that somebody is a particular race. So um, thank you guys for that. Um, and then just wanted to flip this real quickly, just to say, I know I hear again, that word apprehension, but those of you who are my white friends, um, Sam, I'd love to start with you. Um, just, you know, I appreciate what you said about just the history that you and Keith shared about decades of time and what that looked like. But in terms of um, beginning that conversation with him, the apprehension, the, um, you know, were there any specific things that concerned you about having that conversation as a white male? Sure. Actually, there were a couple, but I think the other part of this is that I was, I knew going into this, I was going to have to be vulnerable. As Keith alluded to, I teach social entrepreneurship. Um, we're working, I'm embedded in conversations, difficult conversations about marginalized communities as part of what I do at FSU. And as I tell my students, because our first half of the semester is really about developing empathy and compassion and understanding, I am vulnerable in the classroom as vulnerable as they. This is just What's different about this is that because this particular issue is so important to me, I have felt a, high, a higher level of vulnerability in this than most other things that mm -hmm. I've had. So I think we're, and what I'm seeing is that for those that are in the white community or those who have not really had the same level of direct experience or lived experience that a lot of African-Americans and Blacks have had, they're at a moment. We're at a moment right now that people really want to try and understand. And I want to actually reinforce something that Dara said. If you're asking to, if someone's asking you to formally come in and run something like a training or workshop, you need to be paid for that. That is something that people are paid for. And if it's, a, of course, we make different decisions on friends. And so we've got two different things that are going on right now. On the one hand, we have our friends who we want to really connect with and try and understand what's going on and saying, and certainly in my case, I'm looking at things very differently. And I started looking at things very differently after I moved to the South. Honestly, there was a yeah. huge shift in the way I thought about the black experience once I moved down here. Now, all the other stuff I knew is Brooke Lauren, though. It wasn't real lived experience. And so now I'm trying to bring that up. But the other part is what do we do with this mass education? of an entire group now that simply is more aware than at ever any other time in my recent history. And I think this is something Keith and I talked about. I have not, George Floyd sparked something that is far deeper, far broader than anything I've seen in my lifetime. And I'm a child of the 70s, so I'm a very young baby boomer, but that's creating a lot of pressure. Um, a lot of anxiety for people who want to understand and not sharing how to actually have that conversation. And there are, by the way, and Keith, I thought, summarized exactly what we need to do, we get, you know, trying to get out of the other and get and focus on the lived experience. Yeah. But the other part of it is we have to be very aware of the fact that if you have been on the lived experience side of this as being Black or African American, that creates a whole nother level of anxiety and pressure and tension. And so it's going to be a while before we can actually pull these things together so they work together. Right. And so we can move forward, which is why I think this event tonight is so important, because this is where we're beginning to have that conversation. 
That's great. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Sean, did you want to take a stab at that? Yeah, so um, I think one of the complicating factors to something that is already terrifically complex is that we had this quick succession of horrible events take place. And they happen while the majority of the nation is, is under this pandemic quarantine. And so, you know, for my personal experience, one of the challenges for me uh, was, was twofold. One, those friends of mine who are Black that I have a close enough relationship with that I could go to and talk about trying to get my head around something that I could only know from their perspective. Because there are certain things you, I, I, I can read all day, and I think it is every, every person's responsibility to self-educate. But education can only go so far. I can learn about something, but I can never really understand it except through relationship with other people who have black skin. And I found myself in this odd position, and I found myself in the position because I ran roughshod over a few relationships in my ignorance of my close friends who are black have been just grieving and, and trying to come to terms with what's taking place. And they were not in a position where it was appropriate for me to come with my bag of questions. And so I've been kind of in this self-directed study mode. You know, I have a stack of books, you know, a foot high that I'm trying to go through and pace myself because the heaviness of it will just pull you straight underwater. But how to, how to walk that, that balancing act of what can I learn myself and what things do I need outside perspective in in order to check what I'm, what I'm drawing? Because I can draw inferences from what I'm reading, but those inferences are still going to be through a white male perspective. And I can try as best I can to project on what that might look like, you know, for, for, for Royal or for Keith growing up as a black male. But I can never really understand it. And, and I think the, the COVID quarantine on top of everything has made it even more difficult because we've all, we've been physically separated from each other. And our primary method of communication has been social media. And we've seen just the train wreck that comes from that. And just the vitriol that, that is currently taking place on Facebook and, and whatnot, because we've moved as a society from this place of, hey, I, I have this idea, but, but Vita, you may have a different idea. So let me understand your perspective. No, we don't do that anymore. We say, this is what I believe. And I'm, you're going to have to defeat me before you can move me off that position because I'm not going to hear anything you have to say. And that's become our base approach to everything uh, as a society. And it makes it so hard to make any type of forward progress because all we do is fight. Well, I think we're just going <laughs> to go ahead and drop the mic on that one. It's a pen. <laughs> oh, just a second. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate those responses. Um, so I'm, I want to say one quick thing. Um, ask your questions. Um, somebody did ask, and I promise we did not seed this ourselves, but are there opportunities to get involved with local color, to volunteer, etc.? And um, we'd love for you to just stay tuned to Ology and then the Village Square. We have a great website and you'll find out more information. There are tons and tons of ways to get involved with the work that we're doing. Um, so thank you for that question. Appreciate it. So another thing that I wanted to um, ask about was um, the reality of socioeconomic differences when we talk about race. And I don't know if this came up for any of you, um, or if you can just talk about where you think that you are, where you are personally, and whether that um, affects you. So I would say that I'm uh, middle class at this point in my life. And the Black friends I have are middle class. My parents are immigrants or from the Caribbean. So they tend to be, um, have Caribbean history, a lot of my black friends. And then the, a lot of the white people I hang out with, they're middle class. My, my super white husband, like super white, like, um, like a hero, but also very white. So two ways of seeing the word super, but um, he's also middle class. So the kinds of conversations that I have in my life, it is, they are important because they are, are across race and that needs to happen and across a lot of different kind of components of identity. But then there's also um, 
socioeconomic status, which we're seeing in a lot of ways in almost every area, also very much affects people of color. So for me to have a conversation actually with somebody who um, is in a lower middle class or um, you know, b- below the poverty line, for example, who is Black, that's not something that's frequent for me, even as a Black person, because within the Black race, there are multitudes of different types of Black people, of different subcultures. Um, so anyway, that's, that's a very real part of this conversation as well. So I know Hope and Jessica, you guys were nodding your heads about socioeconomic status coming into play in these types of conversations. Jessica, do you want to start and speak to that real quick? Sure, if I can unmute my button properly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I want Hope to be able to jump into. Um, yeah, I, I didn't expect this is where our conversation was going to go, but it did pretty quickly because she and I had some interesting experiences when we were kids. Um, that kind of alluded to, I know that, you know, we're all complex people. Um, so just because I have an opinion and stance and one maybe like political platform type of concept, that doesn't automatically mean that I therefore, uh, you know, uh, agree with, you know, bullet five, six, seven, eight, like, so that was one thing that I appreciate about our conversation is we, I think too often we make those assumptions about each other. And it's a lot easier just to kind of like quickly label in your own mind, even if you don't admit it. Um, but I think adding the element of socioeconomic into a culture was really eye-opening. Some of the experiences that Hope had had, um, as well as myself, and I don't want to give away your story, Hope, but some of the things that um, we talked about was like, you, you know, whiteness or not white enough, or you're black or you're not black enough, and all these things that like, it's one thing to have a skin color. It's another to how much are you identifying with a culture and I've had some odd experiences in that personally um, that hope made me really feel safe about talking about because they were really like difficult and hurtful for me. Um, But then she had some stuff too that I was like, oh, like, so I think not just a white person thing, but as human beings, we just want so badly to just be happy and kind of like have these blinders. And so it's a lot easier to say you're this and you're this little bucket, and then you're this bucket, and you feel this way. But in reality, I think there's so much about socioeconomic that then breaks up our cultural divides. And you see that person has a need that, you know, I, I don't live out in the country, like I'm in the city. So I, I'm more like city girl. Well, that's not like a white or black thing. That's an other element of me. Um, so we had a lot of that. I think we came to the conclusion at the end that sometimes, at least for the two of us, it feels like some of these racial discussions are more about socioeconomic in some ways than, um, than maybe totally just race. So it's a lot more complex. I hope. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things that just, just asked me about on the question of, Hey, like, do you ever feel like you're like, people say, Hey, like you, you're black, but you talk like a white person or you, and I shared with, and I like, re-triggered these emotions yeah (laughs) you can relate yeah and I was like oh yeah you're right I do remember as a kid people calling me an oreo because I was black on the outside but I was I seemed white on the inside or I didn't listen to certain music so I was like automatically excommunicated and I shared laughed with her about like I remember being made fun of so I like listened to all of like the rap music I could listen to because I didn't grow up listening to it. Um, but I didn't want to be made fun of or, um, you know, just I'm, I'm originally from Miami. So I was trying to exp- express to her, like, you know, sometimes people will say like, you're from Miami. Like you don't sound like you're from Miami, which is like, AKA, like you don't sound like a black person from Miami. <laughs> you don't have this dialect or I don't know. Um, and so, or even I remember I was sharing with her like a time where I was in college and I, I got, uh, it was a part of an organization called Posse. Uh, it's a scholarship organization where they send students to top universities to be leaders from their community in groups of eight to 10. Uh, because in the nineties, there was a kid who went to a university and didn't finish. And they asked him like, what would have helped you? And he was like, man, if I had my Posse, like I would have made it through, I think. So that's where it came from. So Posse has a lot of these kind of conversations on race, gender, um, 
you name it, all of the, the hot topics and tries to create the safe space similar to what you guys do, which I love. Um, but I told her like one year we had a conversation about socioeconomic class and I shared like, you know, I, I would say from my family, I'm probably like lower middle class, if not maybe middle class period. And I remember someone being like, hmm, you know, you know, the way you dress, I would never think that. And just how much that hurt. Like, and I was like, wow, like, I don't know how I feel about that statement, <laughs> you know, and how it wasn't until Jess asked me that all these memories started flooding back. So I think even even that's interesting how sometimes like it is so intertwined, but maybe there are different areas we push back or we put on the back burner to not kind of influence it. Or I think Sean kind of got it. I mentioned like having these lenses through which we see things that we don't always realize impacts when situations arise, like the recent events that so sadly have occurred. Hmm. Tim, I know you um, brought up just in the work that you've done, that stratification in a lot of ways. I didn't know if you wanted to mention anything um, just briefly, because we're, we're almost out of time about socioeconomic class and how that plays into some of these conversations, um, maybe your lack thereof. I didn't know if you had any thoughts briefly. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so since I kind of came into this with a more policy focused mentality and I was kind of viewing things through the lens of having worked with people in the criminal justice system and having seen how being chronically under-resourced and failed by the system affects people and the choices that they make and how anything other than significant investment basically leads to these people being trapped in a cycle where society loses and the people lose and we don't move things forward in a meaningful way. Uh, and honestly, when we talk about like race and how I as a white male fit into the equation in terms of like how I can help with the protests or how I can help just educate my fellow white friends. Like I, I grew up in Ocala, which is a city, but culturally I would say it's more of a rural community uh, a lot of my friends were lower, as far as socioeconomics is concerned, I'm very much middle class. A lot of my friends at that point in time were not low, they're working class, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I, especially looking at my social media feed, kind of got to see their perspective where it's hard for somebody who comes from a lower socioeconomic standpoint to feel like they're coming at things from a position of privilege when they've lived under kind of like this yoke of just constant financial pressure just to exist. Uh, and like, I've been trying personally to interact with friends of mine who are conservative, who may not completely be dialed into how these movements, why these movements are happening and kind of like the sequence of events not just presently, but also historically, that kind of leads to these misunderstandings. Like when I talk to some of my conservative friends, it's like the whole historical precedent of how systemic racism has carried through history up to this present point doesn't necessarily seem to ring as true as well. The laws on the books say that we're all equal in the eyes of the law. Thus, people make choices. And if their choices lead them bad places, then that's their fault. Uh, and like what I was kind of trying to push back against is, hey, listen, if people have been set up by the system to fail from day one and every little interaction with law enforcement produces a potential for any minor indiscretion or slip up to lead to further to further entanglement with the system that actively prevents people from succeeding and moving forward, then that is systemic racism that does exist. And just trying to open people's minds to a different viewpoint. I think one of the things that really has been frustrating to me when I look at the protests is that I'm an outcome oriented person. And what I would really like to see is people who maybe haven't been on our, my side of the political divide, who maybe are coming to these protests after George Floyd for the first time because they think, something changed in their minds and they want to participate. Maybe they don't get it. And as Dara said, it's difficult to interact with these people and try to explain, like to try to educate without talking down or yeah. disrespecting. That's um, yeah. And, and 
just trying to figure out how to bring people into the fold. I've noticed personally, just not even in substance, but in style that some of the messaging has been diffuse and counterproductive in a way that I think turns people off of what otherwise shouldn't be a controversial issue. I think that there's too much, I think there's too much steering into the identity politics divide over something that really affects all of us as Americans, namely that law enforcement isn't accountable when they make mistakes and Tim, how I'm we so can sorry. all move things forward. No problem. I, I'm sorry. so sorry. I got to cut you off there and really excellent points. I think actually you and Sam would have some really interesting discussions. Sam is the faculty advisor for a number of conservative and libertarian student groups. And I think in general, some of the work that he does and uh, Keith as well. I think you guys should just have a scholarly roundtable. I will not understand the vocabulary that you use because of, I have a two-year-old, so it's like four-letter words these days for me. Um, but I think that you guys would have some really good conversations. So um, real quickly, 30 seconds, and I will, I will cut you off at 30 if you have a last-minute thought, any of you, about having had this conversation um, with a new friend or a friend that you already have. So we'll start uh, with Grandmaster D just real quickly. Um, with, with a new friend... <sighs> I know I said earlier, pay me. I do mean that, pay me. Um, but that is mostly in professional settings. Um, in unprofessional settings, it's a lot more people. There are a lot of individuals who don't know, who are unfamiliar. So we just have to, we have to be patient. We have to practice grace. And we have to be very patient. Thank you. Hope? Yeah, I think um, just being able to hear other people's stories can really tear down some of the walls and the scariness um, by just slowing down enough to listen to someone else's experiences. Thank you. Keith? Yes, this has been a wonderful conversation. And very quickly, uh, Jessica, Hope, and Tim, uh, you all, in, in a nutshell, summed up three sources I want to refer us to. Uh, there was a 1903 publication by WBD Du Bois, uh, The Souls of Black Folk. There was a song by the, by the Impressions, Color, Choice of Color, 1969. And there was a book by William Julius Wilson, 1978. All of these sources make reference to the increasing significance of socioeconomic status in determining uh, the trajectory and outcome of life in uh, American society. So going back more than 100 years, we've had conversations focusing on the significance of socioeconomic status and um, I would love for us to find time to sit around uh, this medium and have continued conversations about the, the increasing significance of socioeconomic status because we use race as a proxy for conversations we do not want to mm -hmm. have. All right, Sam, 30 seconds. Uh, all right, oh, so, okay, there we go. Um, I think I'll just conclude with one is that I think what this conversation tonight has shown is that, you know, starting with whoever you're talking to and looking at them as an individual with their own lived experience, start there, and then the conversation can happen. The other thing I'll, I'll just, I, I, just a broader point, we're at a point where our conversation and language is not in sync yet. And so I think we need to be patient and we need to be willing to explore this because one of the most important questions I ask in all my seminars is what do you mean by that? Mm. I don't understand why you're using that term in that context. Can you explain to me from your perspective what you mean by that? And that helps that conversation. I think we're really yeah. at a point on race. We need, to, we need to focus on that. That's great. Thank you, Sam. Tim, 30 seconds. Thank you. Uh, honestly, I think... At the end of the day, what I really would like to see is the transition from protests in the street, developing into something that carries enough of a critical mass as a mass movement that we see significant policy changes that, as it stands, haven't been implemented yet. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have the answers as far as how to bring people into the fold. I do think, I think it was Sean who said something about how uh, people make assumptions and how we need to figure out how to move past them. Uh, I think that that's a good jumping off point. And at the end of the day, honestly, I'd love to continue having this type of conversation. Uh, this has been great. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks, Tim Royal. Yes. Uh, I'd say um, true vulnerability uh, takes extreme courage. And 
you can change an entire person's viewpoint with the conversation. Uh, but also it, it requires um, open ears, um, not just uh, a blasting mouth. Uh, so uh, I think, you know, things like this are extremely important. And uh, together we'll do the impossible, which is conquer all of our uh, discomforts and discourse and, and grow together. And black is beautiful. Oh, sorry. Just, you were talking about the beer. I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> Sean, 30 seconds. Yeah, I think um, the, the first step is just, uh, I think, putting yourself out there and taking risks conversationally and relationally with other people and reminding yourself that nobody's ever died by listening to a perspective that was different than theirs. And it's, I think that's the first step is, is just learning to hear other people um, and not necessarily with the intent of proving them wrong, but just hearing them to hear them. That's great. Thank you so much. Um, great last points for all of you. Um, I, oh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I just, I, been putting notes and stuff down. And I just wanted to say that um, this might feel daunting to to you. You might evaluate and realize that you really don't actually have a lot of friends and uh, with diversity, which um, I think is important. If you don't go find them, find people who are different, not just by race, but by gender, by socioeconomics, like find somebody that's different because that's honestly how you grow the most. And then I would say too, that although this might be uncomfortable, know that at the end of this, it's really worth it. I grew in ways that I didn't think that I would just by listening to hope. And I hope that she felt the same way. So push through some of the biggest ways that you change is when you're really uncomfortable. And I would just say it's worth it. The whole goal of this is for you guys to see some of what we had to trudge through and what was uncomfortable, but also that we want to do it again. And now we want to talk to each other all the time. So it's worth it. And honestly, that's the only way this is going to change. So please, right. please go do what, what we have the opportunity to do. And Jessica, I apologize. My squares shifted. So I value you deeply as a human being. I hope you know. I We've know. known each other for quite some time. So I really appreciate all of you. I do wish that the nine of us could get together. And that is quite possible um, via Zoom or something like that. I really want to um, just thank you for taking the time this week to spend with one another um, and again, I just hope that that was um, fruitful and that that continues to be fruitful um, in ways in your lives as we move forward. I want to thank the audience for your time with us. I hope that it was um, an encouragement for you. This stuff is not easy, but it is absolutely necessary. We're in such a dire time. So I really hope that you all are willing to, um, to push past some of that discomfort and have some conversations regardless of the outcome, it's the initiation and the choice to do it that matters. So I, I wish that for all of you there. So on behalf of Ology Brewing Company and the Village Square, we want to thank you for joining us this evening for a beer and conversation. Take good care of yourselves and each other. Thank you. Hey there, it's Vanessa here again, your podcast host. Wow, you guys, these are the kind of community conversations I have been longing for. And I just want to give each one of these people a hug. Once again, new viewpoints have been presented to me, and my perspective has shifted. And this time, my big aha moment was related to another segment of my own race, which really kind of surprised me. It was that part from Tim about lower income white people not seeing themselves as privileged. I have been thinking about that so much this week. And on a related note, here's a funny little Village Square story. When I was editing this episode and they started discussing the socioeconomic part and economic segregation, I was so glad for that to be part of the discussion because that's something that I think about a lot, the role of power and money in keeping us where we are. So I was listening, just so thankful for the conversation and really feeling like we were talking about the elephant in the room. And then the next day, as I was looking at the local color page on Village Square's website, I saw a picture of an elephant with the headline, how to have an intentional, crazy, real conversation about race. So this just really speaks to what the Village Square is all about, building a space where complex and constructive conversations can take place so that we can all expand our perspective and move forward in a way that's beneficial to our whole community.
Let's give another big shout out to Ology Brewing Company for partnering with us on this event and for their commitment to listen, learn, and lead by example, and for donating the proceeds of the Black is Beautiful Stout to the Local Color Project. So thanks again to Ology Brewing Company and to all of the community members who participated and made this whole thing possible. If you want more community conversations like this, please subscribe to the Village Squarecast in your favorite podcast app or on our website at villagesquare.us slash squarecast. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to keep up to date with all of Village Square's activities, and you can do that at villagesquare.us. We appreciate you listening to Beer and Conversation. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon, and thank you so much for listening to Village Squarecast. Squarecast.